count to ten, take it in. This is life before you know who you're going to be at 15. Taylor Swift. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping Kenny G really messes with his brain. One is divorced. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. This is kind of crazy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, and as far as I know, this is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Uh, Today, we have a very special episode. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, everybody, this is our 100th episode. I don't know if you knew that. If you're first tuning in, that probably won't mean a lot to you. But uh, it means a lot to me because this is our 100th episode. Okay, so now this is actually part 15 of our special 100-parter 100th episode. So that means that the podcast has actually been live for 115 weeks. I think it actually is 113 because I believe there was two weeks in which I recorded uh, two podcasts in a week meaning that our, our number of uh, times we have put up an episode has, has, you know, not, it's no longer in sync with how the episode count we're on. But anyway, this is episode 100, and this is part 15 of our special 100 parter, so only 85 more parts to go. And it's sort of funny to me to think that maybe we're, we're well over two years now of doing this podcast. And I think that was the first Taylor Swift quote. I think that that was the first time, which would be pretty amazing given uh, who I am, if you happen to know me. But then also, I think it's not amazing given if you happen to know who I am now. And that Taylor Swift and her music do not play huge parts in my life anymore or who I am. Uh, they were uh, a big part of my comedy life, but it's, it's evolved. And that's why I thought it was so appropriate to use the song 15, a quote from it. Um, I believe it's, it's from part of the uh, chorus from her song, which is titled 15 uh, as, as a quote today, because this is part 15 of a hundred parter, but it also, I think it, it talks about the transition. It's actually highlighting the transition that I've been through as a person, who we are. We're not always who we are. And sometimes when we're young into ourselves, we don't know who we are going to be. And we shouldn't be beholden to the idea of who we are as, as who we will always be always. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? That in itself is just actually a thing. It doesn't have to be good or bad. We don't have to assign a sort of moral judgment as to the character of that type of thing. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, transitions, I think. Things, things that adjust, things that grow, things that maybe don't sit well or have improved. Let's talk about dynamic. Dynamicism. I don't know if that's a word, but, but changes. I've had a really, uh, I don't know, busy last month, and I got a phone call today that actually sort of implied that I'm not the only one. I'm not. Uh, if, if you are listening out there, 
today, and you gave me a phone call today. You would know who you are because you would be the person that, or, you know, you might not listen to this the day of, too, because I guess given the nature of what was on the phone call, uh, um, you know, that might infer that you were a little busy on the day that this actually gets released. So if you were the person that called me on the phone on the day in which I was recording this, not necessarily publishing it, I just want to say congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, yes, I got a phone call from a friend who is making a very big life change, life decision. I, I, I don't like saying life change. I actually embrace change, the word change myself, because I don't, I don't apply in a, mo uh, a moral value to that. I think change is good. But I think when I use that phrase, some people become scared of that word because it can mean good or bad. But it, it just means transition. It can mean growth. It can mean decay. But change is exciting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm one that, that likes to embrace chaos. I'm a gambler. I am a person that I used to, I used to play poker with my friends and I always, I would like to, I often enjoyed not looking at my cards. Um, that was just the ultimate rush, uh, because I didn't know what was going to happen. And that's, that's the way I feel about change. Some people like to have all the information going into something. So I am actually, um, all, I'm that kind of person too. Hmm. So I'm sort of, I'm sort of disproving my own premise that I was making about myself right now. So I'm. I guess you could say I'm changing my answer. I wasn't even trying to be funny when I said that or did that. It just, it's, it's weird, you know, retrospect. But I leave myself the opening, and that's why change is awesome. That's why I like change, because it could be a good thing or a bad thing. But, or, or it doesn't even have to be a good or a bad thing. I'm not talking about not assigning a moral value to it. I'm saying that sometimes the change really just doesn't have any effect. You know those, those surveys? I had to take a survey at, at my therapist's office appointment last week, um, and it was the absolute worst kind of, survey I could possibly take. I hate this kind. It's the kind where it asks you things like, oh, do you feel happy? Do you feel sad? But it doesn't ask you like yes or no either. It's, you've all probably taken some type of form where it's like uh, agree, strongly agree, uh, strongly disagree, disagree, or neither. Oh, that's, that is just the worst kind of survey. I hate, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, it, it, it shows you with each question, like it, it builds that self doubt of like, how little do you even know yourself that you can't answer simple questions about who you are and who you are supposed to be. And I find those, those really frustrating. And I just hate those kinds of surveys. And I had to take one of those, but yeah, whatever. So I did and that's fine. But yeah, like I was saying, I had a really busy week um, I had a, a really busy week because, uh, so you all might have known that I have been working on filming, uh, proof of concept about like a, a short film based on some things that I have, that I was writing with a couple buddies a couple years ago. And this last year, it's re the dream has really come to fruition as far as making it a thing, whether it's the thing we intended it to be or the thing not. The fact is, we are getting it finished to this, this degree, getting something. It was just an idea. 
it was a script. And before it was even a script, it was just an idea that me and some friends would talk about. And so the fact that we're going to see any film footage, we've, we've seen it, and it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. But, like, the fact that we, you know, um, actually have some type of product that's tangible and it's almost done uh, is very exciting. Just in, as a self-victory, as a small win for all of us following through on a dream. Dreams. Which... I, oh, oh, I should, hmm, let's take a little side note to say, if I have one watch recommendation for you all, it is The Sandman on Netflix. It is a, a series that is a Netflix original. I'm actually not sure how this works because it opens by saying it was produced by Warner Brothers Studios. So it is a Warner Brothers picture uh and i think part of that is because the sandman comics are property of dc comics and i believe they haven't always been i believe that, anyway the, the sandman comics were and i believe they were originally vertigo comics but they were written by neil gaiman mostly and some other people um were contributors or collaborators, and then they were illustrated by a whole bunch of different people, but it is one of the penultimate works of the comic book medium, I think. They were sort of, it's, they've been out for about 30 years now. I think they were early to mid-90s. They had about like a 10-year run or something, but they are amazing. Some of the greatest storytelling I've ever absorbed. One of my favorite things I've ever absorbed was Avatar The Last Airbender, the original cartoon series, and then, likewise, uh, The Sandman. It's hard to describe The Sandman. The Sandman is, uh, and I'm talking about the comic series now. If, if you're familiar with Neil Gaiman, you will understand that most of his storytelling is about the art and craft of storytelling, often set in fictional mythological, uh, sci-fi and horror worlds. The Sandman refer is a reference to like the idea of the Sandman who puts you to sleep, but it follows the adventures of the, the endless, which are seven beings. Let's see if I can remember them all. Uh, dream, desire, destiny, death, despair, delirium, and there's one more, but I can't uh, remember. But so, and and they'll refer to themselves as like they're they're not gods. That's not who they claim to be, and they're not superheroes like in a comic. They're they're sort of concepts, but then they've been uh, anthropomorphized into characters so that they could have stories told about them. The original comics is very much an anthology series where there's a little bit of through line, sort of, but I, I can't even emphasize enough. It's very loose. It is a very episodic thing. Um, it's like, and that's why it's been this weird TV adaptation. Now I have to say, um, Katie and I stayed up real late on the day, like the night leading up to when it was released, because it was going to release itself, 
at midnight, uh, I think, I think it was last week, it was like August uh, 13th or 10th or something, and it's, um, so like at 11.59, we were all logged on to Netflix to turn it on, and we were going to watch an episode, and we spent the next 24 hours binging it through. It is amazing. It is beautiful. It is sad. It is exciting. It is slow. It is deep. It is massive. One of my favorite things ever. Is it flawless? I'm going to say it is Silver Linings Playbooky. Um, if I had done it, one, I probably wouldn't have done it as well, but two, there are like a few changes that like maybe I would have made just choice-wise, but, but that's not what art and medium is. You know, when, when we choose to absorb other people's works, like we take in what they have done. And San the Sandman is a masterpiece in several ways. It is a masterpiece in and of itself. The original works was a masterpiece. Um, it is a beautiful TV show. And also, it is a beautiful adaptation. Because one of the problems about why it took 30 years for this thing that has a huge uh, fan following to become a movie or TV or some type of visual uh, audiovisual medium representation is that it just, if you just read the comics and you're familiar with them, it's like it would be a near impossible feat. Uh, no longer is it an impossible feat. It is a completed feat, or at least the first season. I listened to the audio dramatization of it on Amazon, which I would also, on Audible, which I would also highly, highly recommend for what that medium is. It's a perfect adaptation. So now Sandman exists in three different mediums, and uh, it is, I think, it is perfect at each of them for what it is, right? And that, that's a little bit of my opinion. I'm definitely saying it's one of my favorite things, because just genre-wise, it's fun. It's exactly what I like to spend my time hearing the stories about. Um, this sort of genre that's in between horror, fantasy, sci-fi, uh, also just sort of realistic, noir, mystery. Um, so they changed it a little to make it a Netflix series because you know, with the, the need to make it into TV, you need to make audiences uh, want to see the next episode, right? And like I was saying in the comics, there's, there's not as strong of a through line going on. So they sort of created from the pieces of what it is, changing the timing and making some small adjustments to the characters, something that now is a much more serialized thing. But uh, the, the series is still really beautiful. You could sort of just watch an episode and not have to watch the others. But it, it's not, so it's, it's really hard to explain. And I was really invested in sort of seeing the reviews of what other people thought about it. 
and one of the big critics it's I think it's it's been pretty well reviewed uh, it's one of those things where I think it's amazing let's see it's got 87 on Rotten Tomatoes 7.8 out of 10 on IMDB the uh, average tomato meter has it at 86 percent positive and audiences have it at 83 now the reason I've read, I like, it's, it's one of those things where I think people that are familiar with the comic books will be pretty unanimously on board that this is exactly what they've always wanted. The people that are going to watch this just as a TV show, fantasy TV show, most of them should be pretty excited, but you're going to run into the problem with people that are not understanding what this is supposed to be and the beautiful way that it was adapted to become something that it was not exactly at the beginning but yet really still is and I think one of the real testaments to why this succeeded at least in my eyes and to 83% of audiences eyes is uh, Neil Gaiman and his attitude towards writing and storytelling and I'm, I'm not trying to compare myself to Neil at all because I think he's a master of his craft, uh, of the craft. Um, but he, but I, I just, I simply agree with everything he says about, like he really seems to have this attitude that writing is for everybody and that stories are for the people once, once he's written them, but also that like they, they evolve, they change. That's, that's why I thought of all this when we were talking about change at the beginning. He's like, I love what I created and, and he, I don't think he thinks that he, really had to change what it was to make it a new thing for a new medium. Uh, he feels that it honors it. He's involved in the, in the series. So, of course, you know, it's, um, it's going to help out having that, that he was one of the executive producers, too, and has a lot of say because he's a pretty established guy now. He's had some amazing series. And I think, I, I think he... I'm only going to say... He suffers a little from the fact that in getting that, that full mass appeal that he needs because of what he does is so pure for uh, himself and audiences he knows that are going to understand what he does. Good Omens was one of the best miniseries at the time, and I guess it's now become a series because it, it's like a self-contained uh, uh, episodes originally, but they've decided to make more seasons of it. But like the in and of itself, originally it could have been a standalone, just couple episodes of what it was, and that was one of my favorite things because it it again it melded all these different genres together and created something really special and unique and yet familiar. I mean, this that's the crazy thing about it, right? When you describe a Neil Gaiman work you're gonna use a lot of the words that in my mind, what an executive would want, what an executive would think, man, this is the thing that's gonna make us the money. And that is saying something that is new, something is different, but something that is also comfortable and familiar because it feels like something that we know before or have known, right? That is one of the reasons that like Harry Potter was such a big, huge phenomenon and made so much money and so many fans initially. I'm saying initially because I think it's going through a weird thing where not 
everybody likes it because some people don't like the author, but the Harry Potter series definitely still, uh, you know, used a lot of things that other uh, storytellers had done before. And likewise, if you watch, um, so he had Good Omens, which was fantastic. And it was also, it, if you look at all the Neil Gaiman things, they're all rated uh, much low. They're rated strongly. Most of them are rated like pretty good because you have the people that just don't understand what he does at all and, he, and probably think he's too slow paced. But he also has a very avid and loyal fan base that really loves this stuff. And it's good stuff. I mean, I'm really, I would make this argument to anyone. I would say, I definitely know Neil Gaiman stuff is not for everybody. You have to like fantasy. You have to like mythology. Um, I actually was scared of the fantasy genre for a long time because I had seen so many bad things and very slow moving things. His are not slow. They're deliberate. They build worlds. And so if you look at like uh, Good Omens, the last time I think I had checked it out. I was scared to watch it. It took me a long time to watch Good Omens uh, because um, it didn't have like the just overall super high rankings of... Actually, I'm saying that. Now I'm looking. IMDb, 8, and uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 84. Rotten Tomatoes, let's see. The Good Omens is ranked... Oh, okay, so everything I said, just discount everything I said. I never do any research for this, and I always say ridiculous <laughs> I'm so uh, no, okay, so Good Omens is, is a tomato meter rating of 84 positive and audience rating of 90% positive. Uh, the Sandman has 86 tomato meter and audience score of 83. Actually, this makes a lot of sense to me. So critics liked Sandman 2% more, uh, but audiences liked Sandman 7% less than Good Omens. And I'll, I'll tell you, Good Omens is a lot more positive. It's It's... It's not, not positive. It's happier. It's goofier. It has a much more Harry Potter feel. And the Sandman is darker, so you're probably going to lose a little bit of those audiences. Also, though, the time that it came out, though, let's see. I think uh, Good Omens was 2019. It was just 2019. I think there's only six episodes. It's just, it, it was originally just a... And it was um, Amazon Prime... Uh, which I th so here's the thing I think less people have seen it though like I don't talk to many people who have seen it one of my favorite Neil Gaiman series this is actually my favorite thing uh, before um, they ruined it uh, uh, and that was but it also came out on stars and this which I think probably heard it because that channel knows how to ruin a show like anything um, but uh, American Gods which Similarly, so this is the lowest ranked one, but it was in, in some ways my favorite one. Uh, American Gods from 2017 to 2020-something. 20, um, the average tomato meter rating was 77% from critics and 70% from audiences. So as you can see, like all the things he does get, like they're rated well. They're definitely passing. But like a 70% audience score... Now, it'd be interesting to break it down by season, too, because this was a show that started so strong. The first season of it was amazing. The second season was good, but they knew they were going, oh, uh, well, hold on, never mind. The seasons are right. Okay. I need to learn to read before I talk, because I, okay. <laughs> so season one of American Gods has a 92% overall rating, which it absolutely deserves. 
10 episodes. That's high. People were excited. Boom. They're like, this show is amazing. And it was. Uh, season two falls down to 60%. It was eight episodes. But, but there was production issues about it, too. They were going in. Like it was, I believe it was cut short. They, they kept changing the people that were in charge of making it. Oh, and this is going to... And then season three has a 78 overall. So average, so that's actually two good seasons. 79, almost 80. I think anything that is like 80 or higher um, to survive that high of an average is really good. The first season, again, 92. Let's see if... Well, no, see, Good Omens and Sandman. The Sandman only have one ranking. So American God's first season is rated 12... Uh, nine points higher than The Sandman was. And I think... But, but The Sandman is I, I believe, I'm going to put this prediction out now, and I'm worried it's even going to get a second season because like, I, don't, I, think, I think it had its week release and people got excited and it's had like, its week for people that heard about it from people, but unless it becomes this thing where people, like, you don't hear about it. You don't hear, I'm a Sandman fan and I had almost forgotten that the thing was coming out until I followed some some like social media pages and Neil Gaiman and he's like, check out this series coming out soon. Um, so it has an 83, but, and, and I believe American Gods is over uh, because it's, 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 it, ooh, you know what they need to do? They need to make a movie. They need to, ooh, talking about, ooh. I had a nothing, I thought I had a nothing week podcast, but we're going to have to go into something else because I also finished something that is an absolute, uh, iconic entry into the list of sci-fi fantasy uh, TV and movie world, we finished a series that I don't know if any of you have heard about before. It is called Firefly, and it was a, uh, a series. I'm, I'm saying that y'all know what Firefly is. I'm the one that didn't know what Firefly was. I watched it for the first time. Me, in 2022. I'm the one that just finished it, and then there was a movie about it called Serenity that brought it to a conclusion for a series that was cut short in its prime. And it was, was it a 2002 or 2004 series? It was like, it was a while ago. It was, it was a good 20 years ago. Um, yeah, I think it was, a, I think the series came out in, tw- in 2002 and then the movie came out in 2004 or so. Cause, cause it was the writer's strike. The writer's strike was what shut it down. Uh, anyway. No, yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, that's right. <gasps> Have we talked about... <laughs> oh, There's... Firefly got canceled because Fox aired the episodes out of order. Firefly got canceled. Did y'all hear that? Y'all knew that. Again, y'all knew that. Y'all knew that. I'm learning things. Firefly got canceled because Fox aired the episodes out of order. They did everything they could to ruin a TV show. Like, it's aside... They should have just said, like, we don't want it. Even though they should have wanted it. It was by a proven TV maker. It was by somebody who has, has consistent success in making things that people like. Clearly, clearly it is, because, like, people are still firefly flan, flan, <laughs> flans of the firefly. Fire. Space opera, people like that genre, right? And, uh, yeah, like, even Dragon Con this year is having cast members from Firefly... Um, show up as guests, and people are still super excited about that 20 years later. I have to say, the show, I fell in love with it instantly, and I, we, we didn't binge watch it 
we watched it slowly because I was sort of having a hard time with the fact I didn't want to finish it super fast. And, and we took a couple weeks to watch the first couple episodes, and then I think we got to like six or something, and we just like, oh, oh, just, just watch the rest of it or something. And then, then we watched it, and, and actually, so it was fine. That One of the things that had been scaring me was I heard it was going to be great, and I knew that it was shut, shut, Cut short. Shut court. Cut short. I can't say my words today. It was it was shut court in its prime. Cut short in its... There wasn't as many episodes as they wanted to make of it. Uh, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to watch a show that I, I thought was going to be the greatest thing ever and then be like, oh, there's not enough. It's not a satisfying ending. And then Katie told me, don't worry. They made a movie to wrap up. And, but actually, I, I do want to say, when I got done with the episodes of Firefly, um, I was sad that it ended, but it did. I didn't feel as devastated as I was because I don't think they had really even gotten into the big questions and developed them. So it didn't feel like a cliffhanger. It just felt like there was unresolved plots. So it was more, I'm just saying it was more comfortable than I felt. Still very sad, but, but more comfortable than I thought. And then we watched the movie, and... Uh, so like for what it was, I thought it was great because now you have this movie that gives an opportunity to high budget wrap up this sci-fi series. And, um, that was very fortunate. Um, also the, uh, the actor who was the villain was, uh, that awesome guy from, uh, the Doctor Strange movies or something who I'd never seen before, but I really liked seeing him in this role because he had, he definitely needed a bigger part from from the Marvel movies that he just had bit parts in. So to see him, that was pretty cool. I was a little sad at the movie. They, it's been, it's been 18 years. So I think I can say this without too, too much pushback uh, for spoiling anything for anybody. They killed off Alan Tudyk's character, which was pretty upsetting to me, like not only in the moment, but also in the, the why, why, why they need to do that. Why the, and, and you just got through like the thinking he was, everything was good. He had just saved everybody too. And then they just have, anyway. Um, but I'm happy he made it through to everything. So they had him in every episode. Also though, something I was, I was upset about. They killed two of the characters, two of my favorite, like also, cause how many shows do, is one of the let's say, quote-unquote, religious character is going to end up being one of my favorites. Like, when he shows up at first, I think he's going to be this annoying, like, oh, this is the preacher man who makes them all, like, always be good and stuff, but he becomes this fascinating character with this backstory that, like, you ne they never even tell you what the backstory is, but you just, like, feel so much of, like, ah, oh, this dude did stuff. So, like, something. He's so interesting, and he's, he's so charismatic and funny about it. Um, like, that, that, that was fine. Like, that was sort of understandable because he was an older actor, too, so I know, like, part of my belief is that that was, like, sort of writing him out, should they ever have made more that, like, he, and he has since passed away, which is very sad, um, but, like, you know, he had a good long life and career, which is awesome, so, so the reason I'm bringing that up is that at the end of the Serenity movie, I have a problem that they have, like, this very sort of sad and, and poignant moment where they have the memorial to Alan Tudyk's character who has 
to be uh, my favorite character, and then this other awesome character, uh, the preacher, Shepard, and then a character that they introduced in the movie who undoubtedly like, is a cool role and like a very key part of the movie, but they... But the whole backstory was like, oh, we've known this guy forever. But like, he doesn't show up. He wasn't in the series, right? The Mr. Universe. He just he was just for the movie. But he's also there. And they're just like, these three characters. And you want to be like, no, those two characters and the guy from the movie. Um, they're, they don't all hold the same way. Anyway, that's, that's fine. But I'm, I'm happy. Good for them. Here's a round of applause for Firefly for being a well-invested uh, 15 hours of of watch time and now now I'm super excited because we are finally going through Better Call Saul which I've I've seen I believe three of the seasons I know I know at least two because when it first came out I watched uh, what was on Netflix and it was fantastic and it's um I'll say going into two seasons it's it's a perfect TV show it's a flawless TV show Bob Odenkirk is amazing he is one of my favorite actors and I'm so happy that he was given an opportunity to to be sort of the lead of his own thing because his character was amazing um Katie asked me last night uh do you find him relatable and I had thought she said were you late to his character meaning like did you did it take you too long to figure out he was the awesomest character in Breaking Bad but she said relate to and I said and I thought I had heard are were you late to yeah, and I so I was at first I was I was like I don't I don't know I was thinking about that like oh did I not realize how awesome he was when he was just a recurring character in Breaking Bad but no he would like that was one of the best parts of Breaking Bad too because then also he sends uh, Bill Burr and Lavelle Crawford as like his hired thugs also I don't know if they make appearances in this show I hope so so strongly. Because they are two. One, Bill Burr is one of my favorite people who does not appear in enough TV. Um, he's, he, of course, he's one of my favorite comedians. But I love seeing him as, as a character because he's always just the same angry, uh, angry guy from Boston. Even like The Mandalorian, which is the only good Star Wars thing that's come out since the original movies from 1977 to 1983, uh, and the best part of them is having Bill Burr now be an official part of the Star Wars universe where he's this guy who's still just being like, I don't know, it's like Stormtroopers or something. Like, he doesn't even... Ch he, like, he has an accent in The Mandalorian, which would imply that there is a region of space that has, like, this Irish Boston accent. I want them to film a Star Wars on that planet. Just the Star Wars. You know, they're going to the cantina. Just drinking... What, you don't got beer in space? It's this long time. Anyway, it's... He's amazing. I want to see him in a <gasps> Bill Burr in a pirate show. I'm going to write to the Taika Waititi right now because Bill Burr as a pirate, he was made to be a pirate. He's, but he's probably just turned into angry dad now because he, he actually, he had a cartoon, which was great. It, it was right along with the, the Neil Gaiman stuff, like sort of 75 to 80% liked. It wasn't loved. He also had a, a short lived ABC sitcom back in the 90s i think i've always i'm so impressed that i found this because it's like nobody's ever heard of it and for good reason i found the pilot on youtube and it was terrible um got a 30 on rotten tomatoes but there was a very short-lived one one season episode and i think it yeah it was it was canceled before it even finished 
called Townies, and uh, it was um, supposed to be people from, let's see, Gloucester, Massachusetts. If you watch it, it's, it's very dated because it, it has like, and I think the problem with this was that it was like an ABC or CBS sitcom back in the 90s sitcom days, but you have all these people, that it, it's just, it needed to be rougher. This, this was a show that should have been an FX comedy or an HBO comedy or something. Three former high school classmates dish out chowder and dish about their own prospects at a restaurant in Gloucester, Mass. Carrie is the peacemaker of the trio, while Shannon is the local good time girl, and Denise is an erotic wreck with a young baby. Marge is the girl's crotchety boss, with Kurt is Carrie's platonic male friend. And, yeah, starred uh, Jenna Elfman, Bill Burr, Molly Ringwald, Lori Graham, and uh, there was one of, I, I think Ron Livingston was in it. So, like, it could have been great, but, oh, man. Um, like, if, if you pitch that to me, it's something I want to see. If you show me the pilot, I'm like, I understand why this fails on every level. I wouldn't be against them putting it together again with the exact same cast, either. <laughs> I think that would be pretty amazing. I would be down for that. So, anyway, you got all these uh, Neil Gaiman shows that are... Um, you know, good, and then they just don't get... This is interesting. So I actually like season two of American Gods more than I like season three, but season three is ranked 79 and season two... And then it got canceled, I think. Wait, let me see. I, I have to check this. I'm actually going to pause the recording to check this. So the latest, apparently, is that American Gods was canceled on Stars. And in 2001, there was an article about Netflix and Amazon maybe vying to pick it up, but I can't find any confirmation that any of that is going to happen, which is really sad, which is funny because I actually didn't think about the fact that that was a show that never reached its conclusion because I was so sort of disappointed with season three. But to be honest, I kind of slept through most of season three too, not like slept on it, just like I literally slept through it, so I might have to watch it again sometime to make sure it was what I thought it was, because I don't remember. But anyway, we were talking about transitions. So I, the, um, we talked about one of the hardest things about Silver Linings Playbook is that um, it was a Weinstein production, and so it is, that is one of the most bitter parts about watching one of my favorite movies, is that you have this really sweet, amazing, triumphant movie. And then when they, you know, the main characters kiss and talk about Sundays and then they cut to black and the first credit is uh, Harvey Weinstein, which we all have now come to know uh, in 2022 was an absolute monster, a terrible person who was just um, uh, exploitative and a criminal and just treated uh, women horribly and should never have been allowed to have worked in Hollywood or been been free anyway. It's it's just hard to see that credit on something beautiful. And it you know it, it makes you ask a lot of questions about separating art and artists. You know, I want to say I want to say there's probably not much that he was responsible for as as far as making it 
what it was. But then again, I mean, he, you know, executive producer, uh, financing these things and putting the, putting the pieces together so they could happen. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't sour to me that it is a beautiful movie. It just, it makes a little gross in note, uh, at the end of it. Um, fortunately the book, the Silver Linings Playbook, written by Matthew Quick, is, as far as I know, still an inspirational story in that it is a story, but it's also an inspirational story about the author, uh, Matthew Quick, sort of taking a chance on himself. And he went through uh, personal transitions. I guess he was going through a lot of personal transitions in his life when he decided to uh, stop in his job teaching and write this book that he had wanted to for a long time. And it was a success all the way around. I think we are all pretty aware of that. One, because we are now here on episode 100, part 15 of our special 100-parter of a podcast that is solely devoted to talking about the book that he wrote and a movie that was adapted from the book he wrote. And... That is another reason why I think I, I would love something like Silver Linings Playbook and something like Sandman. You look at people who understand how to adapt. And I'm talking literally, not, not about like adaptation. I mean, is, I, the words do, do apply though. There's a reason why, they, you know, it's called screenplay adapted from something else. Because it goes through changes so that it can become appropriate for another medium. You have something that was a book, literary fiction, and now you're making it into a movie. And, you know, the amount of time it takes to read a three or four hundred page novel. I believe there's a website that estimates the length of time it takes to read certain books and it puts... Silver Linings Playbook. Well, we'll go off the audiobook. I believe the audiobook is like a six or seven hour read. The movie is two hours. So changes had to be made because you can't include every single thing that the book had and you want to make it fulfilling. You want to make it have the same amount of conclusion because it's not going to be like a multi-parter. It would be ridiculous to have multi-parts for something Silver Linings Playbook related, Right. You want it all just encapsulated in one self-contained, uh, you know, product. And so they made the movie by condensing. But also, everything about turning something into a movie is not about cutting because some things are expanded. You also do save times in certain aspects too because look at all the things that get described in a book. But when you put a movie together you have the visual representation so that you don't really have to have people wondering what you're describing you can just show it and that actually saves time compared to reading you have that in the comics you like you have uh you know the book describing the diner from the silver linings playbook where you know he wants to give you an idea of the setting where the two characters are setting but if you have the movie you can just see what the diner is and then you sort of have this opposite thing in something like the sandman where you already have a visual representation and now you're adapting the, the characters to a live version so you have their voices, they can say things, they can be quirky, 
like they got Patton Oswald to be the voice of the uh, Raven in the TV show. So you, so you can already get a sense of who this character is by just hearing him much quicker than the comics that had to develop him with having sort of snarky language and sort of create this character. Um, now, where it goes, we have no idea. But I was, you know, I was talking about how the, the movie has, it's been 10 years. It, it, it was nominated in the 2012 Academy Awards. And how many, how many pictures back then were Harvey Weinstein productions? Miramax, produ or Mir wait, oh, I should know that kind of, not Miramax. No, I mean, maybe Miramax, uh, details. I should never commit to saying a detail on here. Um, so something else we watched that was pretty awesome, uh, I, the new Predator movie, it was called Prey. And I thought the movie was amazingly awesome. I, now, note, I have never seen any of the Predator movies before. I'm aware of what they are. I've seen some <laughs> clips of them. I've seen uh, the, like Jesse Ventura and Arnold Schwarzenegger was in it. I read a really interesting article about how they were talking about how they did a really smart thing where they were... Um, well, no, okay, so Hollywood misunderstood what made the Predator, the first Predator movie successful, and that was apparently, I only know this sort of contextually and from history, but it was a little bit before a time where I would have been old enough to sort of have the understanding of the cultural re relevance of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but apparently he was, he was back in the day, this is so weird, I'm talking about this like it's ancient history, uh, I've, I've seen... Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I know who this is, and I think he's, he seems like a fun, wonderful person. But, right, so, so apparently the industry misunderstood that he was, was a bankable star back in the day when, when stars sort of commanded their own audience independent of what the project actually was. People were just so much like, I want to see an Arnold Schwarzenegger action pick. Um, they were not actually being Predator fans, that they were Arnold Schwarzenegger fans. And so the industry made a series more Predator films and each one had declining viewership because people were, were like, this is not the same thing. It wasn't about the Predator franchise. So what they did with this one was they sort of like completely reinvented. They set it back in the 1700s in, uh, you know, in the indigenous tribes of uh, the I believe the Badlands up north in like the Dakota areas or something and they just had it be this movie where it was science fiction but it was fantastic because it was just sort of like this historically uh, beautiful film that honestly is so standalone you don't have to know anything about the Predator it was an alien slash monster movie, not an Alien movie, because Alien is a different franchise of movies that, that consequently have crossed over with the Predator franchise, because I said I'd never seen a Predator movie. I did see a movie called Alien vs. Predator, I think, once. That was back when I was going to lots of movies in, a, in the movie theater, and I had, no, I, I had never seen an Alien or a Predator movie. And so the first one I saw was that, and that was probably a terrible way to be introduced to both franchises. I have since gone back during the pandemic. I watched all the Alien movies. I'm not sure if I've saw, seen all the Alien movies, but I saw the original three, uh, Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, Aliens 3. 
I had also also before I'd seen I had never seen an alien movie and I saw the movie Prometheus and I I remember thinking that that was pretty good. I think that was a sort of controversial entry though. Let me let's check that out. Prometheus. Um whether oh, which was a 2012 film, so that was a film that came out the year after uh Silver Linings Playbook. That movie, uh, people didn't really like. Okay, so we got a 7 out of 10 on IMDb, 73 on Rotten Tomatoes, and 64% on Metacritic. Audiences didn't love Prometheus. Audiences gave it a 68, which I think is still good. Um, you know, if I, if I ever make a real movie and it's rated anything over 50%, if that means more than half the people liked it, I think that is a success. Honestly, I think getting a made is a success, uh, right? And then having it, um, if any, you know what, here's the thing. If anybody likes your movie, then you have succeeded to them, right? But, uh, was, but uh, Prometheus was apparently like a, a uh, what's it called? Prequel explaining some of the mythology about how the aliens came to be the alien movies i think the problem with that was from my understanding it didn't actually uh precede the movies in, in the terms of like they it never really explained that this was the alien movies it, it sort of was one of those things at the end it shows that oh these are our alien the aliens but it it uh it probably should have just been like hey this is an aliens prequel i don't i don't know i because i I don't know what it was like to be an Aliens fan at the time and to watch this movie going into it knowing whether it was an Aliens or not Aliens movie. I'll say that I didn't even know about the movie. It was one of the first and only movies that I went to socially because a bunch of comedians were going to this movie. And I remember I went to sort of a, a late night weekday screening to Prometheus. And then what happened, ridiculously was I left directly from the movie theater to go meet up with a buddy, and we both drove to Chicago for uh, a round of the World Series of Comedy. So I think I was watching that movie really just sort of being like, oh, I'm nervous about going to Chicago with this person I barely know. Um, and the comedy contest there, and comedy still made me nervous at the time, too. So... It was definitely a thing where um, there was a lot of things going on in that. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, it was very enjoyable, I think. I liked it. It was like a pure sci-fi type uh, movie that I really enjoyed watching. And I, thought, I think it's a good movie. Even if critics don't necessarily think it's... That's fine. You know, every, these are opinions. People get different opinions on things, and that is fine. We, we can learn to be respectful. Uh, I'm I, not trying to make that argument we have to respect everybody's opinions, but I think we have to respect the concept that there are what, what an opinion is. And I think maybe we could respect everything as opinion if we, if we recontextualize what an opinion is. Um, an opinion is somebody's viewpoint. And saying that you respect somebody's viewpoint doesn't have to mean that you respect what it is they believe. Respect the humanity of the fact that people are not the same. They have a lens that they view everything through. And it's just important to remember. So even if somebody has a hateful, terrible opinion, I feel 
personally, this is my opinion, that in saying I respect their opinion is not validating or even allowing them to have that opinion. If it's, if it's a terrible or offensive or dangerous opinion, I'm going to try to get them to change that as, as strongly as I can. I'm going to try to get them to change that, to help them to see better, to help them do better. But I have to understand, too, that I can't just change the way they think by thinking something else. It is an opinion. Opinion is, is sort of like a held belief based on your experience and viewpoint. And so I think that to say respect an opinion is to respect what something is. That's like saying uh, if somebody has uh, a voucher for a free taco at Taco Bell, um, that's not the same as a taco. And I could say I don't believe in tacos and those are unhealthy and that they will hurt you. But I think it is important for me to be able to say I respect the fact that I know you have a coupon. I don't know how you got that coupon, right? Maybe you won a contest. Maybe you work for them and they gave you that as a voucher. Uh, if I don't believe you should have coupons for tacos, I will work on some way to maybe you need to be able to feed yourself in a different way. But to just say that like you can't hold that opinion because it's, it's dangerous and I don't have to respect that you have an opinion, that takes away a strong amount of how am I supposed to make the world better. I can't just deny. It's, it's like we often say the thing, the idea, um, like I don't believe in something. We say I don't believe in something when we mean we don't agree with something. Because those things that we're being asked to believe or not uh, are not always subjective. Sometimes they're, they're things. I don't believe the world is round. Well, the world is round or flat. My belief and opinion is just my uh, experience, perspective, and expectation of what it is. So, but I'm not making it one of those things by believing it, right? I'm just telling you how I read. I'm not telling you that I'm an author. So that is sort of an important aspect to that. Anyway, I'm not sure uh, if we've talked that much about Silver Linings Playbook or the Silver Linings Playbook, but uh, I think we're going to look at wrapping this up because, um, oh man, i got a lot of stuff to do. got to get up at uh, 7 tomorrow, which is pretty early for me considering I actually I had been up for like the last 26 hours yesterday, yesterday and slept all day, so I'm trying to get back on a normal work schedule. But yeah, we had a... We had a movie shoot on Wednesday, which is pretty exciting. Got the last footage I feel I need for the Jester's full proof of concept. So hopefully that will be in a state that can be released soon. And when I say released, I mean, it's not, this is not getting released. It's supposed to be sort of a, a pitch product, but I'm really hoping that it will help out. Um, and so, you know, uh, it is definitely one of those things that I want to be able to share with people, though, because there's a lot of people that have been invested in it, a lot of people that have been curious about it, and I think people will just enjoy it, even though it's it's sort of short right now, but that's all it's supposed to be, and then hopefully I can try to sell it. Uh, so if anybody is looking to produce a TV show or something, hit us up at silverliningsplaycast at gmail.com or the silverliningsplaycast at, at silverliningsplaycast at gmail.com I need to learn our own 
things. It's been too long for me not to know it. Silver Linings Playcast at gmail.com. S-I-L-V-E-R-L-I-N-I-N-G-S-P-L-A-Y-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Know the. Just Silver Linings Playcast at gmail.com. Anyway, tune in. Thanks, thanks for tuning. I should be grateful before I try to sell you even more stuff, right? Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, and definitely tune in next week and or every week as long as we decide to keep doing this and it seems relevant. Hopefully at least more 84, 84, 85 more parts so that we can finish this episode so that we don't leave this unfinished like Firefly the series if you don't count Serenity or American Gods. But uh, yeah, tune in next week and hopefully every week as long as we keep doing this. Uh, for all the latest on what is, as far as I know, the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook the movie and the Silver Linings Playbook the book. Until next time, we will see you down the road and excelsior. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping Kennedy really messes with his brain. One is divorced. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings play cast.